Because it's October, aka Halloween month, I'm going to be talking about an iconic scary movie, one that paved the way for slasher films. This movie was inspired by horrific true events, and it's these horrific and terrifying true events we will also be taking a look at. Originally, this episode was supposed to involve multiple horror movies based on true events, but this one particular movie had so much to cover, I had to dedicate an entire episode to it. I had no idea what I was getting into. This episode is about the 1974 horror movie sensation and the real killer that inspired the $30 million box office film. Come hang out with me while I talk true crime and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I just noticed something weird. So this is episode 83, but it's also episode 38 of my season two. And I just thought that was really weird when I was writing it out. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, 83, 38. I don't know, weirded me out. Anyways, this week we will be taking a trip in a time machine to the 1970s. I know, very exciting. Barbara Streisand, that's right, she was topping the music charts with her hit song, The Way We Were. John Denver, The Jackson 5, Elton John, ABBA, the Steve Miller Band, and Three Dog Night were also in the top 100 of that year. President Nixon resigned and Watergate was exposed. Fuel prices were skyrocketing and the Vietnam War was nearing its end. This same year, the first and original film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, was released to theaters on October 11th. This film kicked off the slasher genre for the decade. What a time to be alive. Just imagining myself living at this time. I would have had some funky bell bottoms. I would have had a cool flowing shirt. Would have been wearing some clogs, my long hair blowing in the breeze on my way to the cinemas to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Since then, eight other Texas Chainsaw Massacre films followed, but today we are focusing on the 1974 original and what inspired writers Toby Hooper, who directed, as well as Kim Henkel, who who co-wrote. I had seen two of the nine, uh, but never the original. I saw the one that was released last year, which was pretty crazy, really good actually. And I saw the 2003 one, I think it was with Jessica Biel, but I had seen it so, so long ago. And when I had seen that one, I actually thought that I didn't, I, I didn't think it was the original, but I also had no idea about anything to do with the original. So in order to write this episode, I watched the original. This was only supposed to be a maybe five to 10 minutes I was supposed to talk about this and I was gonna talk about three or four other horror movies that were based on 
true events. And when I started looking into this, I was like, okay, clear everything because I am focusing only on this because there is so much and it was, it blew me away. I was like, what is all of this? The budget for this film, the budget for the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the budget was 140,000 US dollars. That would have been a lot in the 70s, but not not as much as movies movies usually cost to make, you know? It was still a relatively low budget film, and it ended up grossing 30.9 million dollars in the box office. That was 16.5 million tickets sold. 16.5 million people bought tickets to watch this film. Nobody knew how big this film was going to be originally, not even the people making it, not the people acting in it. They didn't think it was going to blow up the way that it did. And even though this movie, it was going to be a huge success, they didn't know that at the time of filming. And they struggled to even pay actors. This is low, low budget. They were worried about equipment rental time because they they didn't want to have to pay for more time to rent the equipment. They, the, the, oh, wait till I get into this. Just wait. Okay. So it, in the movie, in the original movie, it starts off with text on the screen being read. There's a rolling, uh, rolling, text going and I read that this guy reading it so it's being narrated and the guy reading this he was actually paid to do this in marijuana and he was Toby Hooper's friend (laughs) which I thought was a fun fact about this movie and very on brand for the 70s (laughs) then in the movie it goes into a radio announcer reading the news and the first thing you hear is this radio announcer talking about graves being robbed and bodies being snatched out of these graves then it cuts to in my opinion the foundation of what makes for a good horror film a van load of young adults on a road trip to a remote rural town yes as soon as I see that I'm like "Mm mm-hmm The van used in the movie, it actually belonged to a crew member and apparently filming in it was very, very hot and very, very cramped. They had the sound guy in there. They had the camera guy in there. They had all the actors in there. This is filmed in Texas. You have that and it was summertime in Texas and the van was just stifling hot. Ton of people in there, but they did it. One of the women and one of the men in this group, these the, in this group of young adults, they have a connection to the town that they are going to visit, and that is that their grandfather used to live there, their brother and sister. The grandfather's home, it's still standing, although it's falling down and it's becoming dilapidated. It's, it's abandoned. The town's main business is uh, cattle and slaughtering said cattle at a slaughterhouse. So this is where the majority of the people in this town would have gainful employment was at the slaughterhouse. And this brother and, and sister, their relatives used to work at this slaughterhouse. The group even have a in-depth discussion about the process in which the cattle are killed. And this is foreshadowing, okay? This sets for a very eerie atmosphere eventually the group of young adults in the van they see a hitchhiker and they're like let's pick him up and they pick up this hitchhiker who they believe must work at the slaughterhouse this guy is weird he's got this 
big birthmark on the one side of his face. Clearly, he's got a couple screws loose. He has a huge smile, which is terrifying because he never drops this, this it style smile. He's got a fur pouch around his neck and he's got a Polaroid camera. And he is just so creepy. The hitchhiker shows very odd behavior. And he takes out his camera and he takes a picture of one of the guys in the group. And then he shows the guy. He's like, here's your picture. And the guy's like, it's not a very good picture. And then the creepy hitchhiker is like, well, you owe me $2 for that picture. And then the guy's like, I'm not giving you $2 for this picture. And then this is when this creepy hitchhiker burns the photo I don't know he does some type of weird thing and he like sets it on fire and then he takes out a knife and he cuts his hand and everyone's like what the fuck so he cuts himself and then he reaches over and he cuts the guy's arm who said he wouldn't pay him two dollars for the for the picture well everyone in the van is screaming and yelling like get this guy out of here so they pull over and they kick the hitchhiker out of the van and the hitchhiker's freaking out and he's flailing his arms everywhere and he's chasing after the van and he's rubbing his blood all over the van and they're like let's get out of here and then the next scene everyone is just chill like that didn't just happen they're like oh we're here at this abandoned house let's go inside yay it's it's just it's so weird how they go from this like intense situation to being like oh well that guy's gone uh next the group locates the home of the two group members the brother and sister their grandfather they all go inside to look around their grandfather he's dead okay like he's long since died and nobody's been there for a while like I said it's abandoned it's dilapidated the grass is all growing up around the house actually before getting to the home they did stop at the cemetery to see his grave where they were met by a bunch of weird very unsettling characters that are locals of this town slowly the group start to separate to explore the derelict house and then they go to look for a swimming hole nearby on the property they go in the house like you can hear them running around they're all laughing looking through all the rooms and then someone's like hey didn't you say there's a swimming hole around here and then two of the two of the young group members uh boyfriend and girlfriend they're like we're gonna go find it probably some sexy skinny dipping they were planning we don't know because they never get there so one by one eventually they all make their way to this neighboring rundown farm home <laughs> which for some reason obviously they can't resist entering they're like let's what's up here and they're knocking on the door and the door opens this movie is of course set in Texas and it was even filmed in Texas with primarily Texan actors and actresses. Everyone on the group is dressed exactly how you would imagine young people from America in the 70s would dress and I just I just love it. It's the same reason why I love the wardrobe in Dazed and Confused. Also set in Texas, also in the 70s. It's just it's it's iconic. Anyways, back to the movie. So one of the group members, the guy, he's like, I'm going to go in this house because him and his girlfriend, they're looking for the swimming hole. They stumble across this abandoned house and the guy for some reason is like, I'm going to go in. And the girlfriend's like, "Ugh, I'm going to wait outside. She's waiting outside. He enters the home and it doesn't take long before he gets got. Okay. A sledgehammer, 
comes out being wielded by this man and he's got human flesh mask covering his face. He's got a butcher's apron on. He's covered in blood. He's just this big, massive man. Takes this sledgehammer, hits the guy in the head. The guy falls down, starts seizuring, and he pulls him into this, what I could imagine is a kill room, and then he slams the door, okay? So the guy who just got got, his girlfriend, she's outside. She didn't hear any of this. She's sick of waiting for him. So she's like, I'm going to go in the house and find him. So she enters the home. <laughs> I just fucking love horror movies. So she enters She enters the home and then she gets got. Um, but not before entering this creepy room in the house and it is filled with human bones and carcasses and just everything creepy and terrifying there's human hands hanging from the ceiling there's dead animals and bones everywhere it's just a real terror room okay her death it is gruesome I think it's one of the most gruesomest gruesomest I don't know if that's a word but I think it's one of the worst death scenes in the movie um, because Leatherface, he grabs her. She's trying to run away. She's trying to run out of the home. She's like, she sees Leatherface. She sees this like crazy room. Maybe she doesn't even see him. I think she sees the room and she like falls on the floor and there's like animal carcasses and she's like, ah, and she runs away, tries to run out of the home. Leatherface jumps out of nowhere and he's like, I'm going to get ya. And then she's like, ah, makes it out the front door. And this is very haunting. The way they they did this was was very, very chilling she makes it just out of the front door she's like ah sunlight's hitting her she's she can see freedom she's in it and he's right behind her and he grabs her just as she goes through the doorway to outside and he picks her up and he picks her up and he carries her back inside brings her to this kill room where the other guy is and he hangs her up on a meat hook by her body alive then then if this isn't enough she's alive and she's like ah then he takes a chainsaw her boyfriend's laying on a table in front of her he takes a chainsaw and he cuts that guy's head off with the chainsaw and she's just hanging there with this hook in her back alive watching all of this this horror unfold so it was very gruesome scene during the filming of this scene this is I found this to be fucking crazy. So during the filming of this scene, one of the crew members' wives used to come and bring the crew lunch. And alongside her, she would bring her two-year-old daughter. Like her husband worked on, that was their two-year-old daughter. The child ran into the house in in front of the mother. Like she's like, I'm going to go find dad and the crew members. I don't know, she's two. She's hard to control. She's a toddler. She's running, she's walking. This child ran into the house in front of her mother. So her mother was getting all this food out of the back of the van to bring it to the crew. And this two-year-old daughter, this two-year-old girl, she was no stranger to the set. Like she go, went there all the time and she would run around the property and in to the trailers and say hi to everybody which is really cute I thought but um this day this was not so cute because she ran into the house while they were filming this scene and the little girl saw the woman hanging from the meat hook saw Leatherface wielding a chainsaw at the man's head that's when the little girl ran in saw this chainsaw and um (laughs) she screamed bloody murder and took off running 
just she was like I'm out of here bye and she just takes off running she's two she's two and she walked in on that scene I was like oh man I hope they went and got her <laughs> I, I'm, I mean I'm sure they went and got her of course they went and got her but I hope they like took her back and, and had her meet the woman who was hanging on the hook who was clearly fine the guy who was getting his head off who was clearly fine and had Leatherface take off his mask and be like I didn't no one's hurting anyone this is how we're doing this it's just a scene and nobody's getting hurt because that is that's really gonna fuck her up I mean she's got to understand that it's all fake it's all fake it's carefully set up and nobody's getting hurt but I thought that was just a a little crazy behind the scenes story uh that I heard in an interview I couldn't believe it I was like oh my goodness they had a two-year-old girl running around on the on the scene and she walked in on that part of filming one of the most gruesome scenes in my opinion in the whole movie it's yeah oh that's yeah it would have been terrifying for her the actress that was placed the actress that was placed on the meat hook uh she could only be up on that hook for about a minute at a time because the harness she was in was so painful and like it was like up against her groin it was in her pelvis like it was all her body weight was on it it was very very painful and they had made this harness this wasn't like a professional stunt harness or anything they they concocted it from whatever they had lying around to to make this scene look realistic and it was that harness um that was hooked onto the meat hook so it looked like it was the meat hook was in her back but it wasn't it was in 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 this harness and initially toby hooper the director he wanted the hook the hook to appear to come out of her chest and spurt blood but they wouldn't be able to clear an r rating for the film if they did that i believe it i believe it was an r rating they were going for so they didn't do it they and that's why in that scene during this scene you don't see the the hook come out and you don't see blood there's there's no blood on her during during this scene and honestly it's more haunting because it appears like the hook is lodged through her spine it is oh oh, oh, it is just absolutely horrendous You have to remember this was not common to see in horror films then as it is now and actually this film was banned in some countries and it stirred up a lot of controversy as to whether it was uh, too violent to even be shown at all. Uh, The only film which came close to the gore and violence which was released before this movie was called The Last House on the Left. And still, it has nothing on a madman wearing human flesh, wielding a chainsaw, putting women on meat hooks with their body. Like, you know, this was just so far beyond anything that anyone had ever seen before or even done before. As the movie progresses, there is a lot of kills very fast early on. It really ramps up and it it just, it keeps that speed going. But there is a final girl. This movie is from 1974, okay? So I don't even know, this is, is this the first final girl? Is, you know, like, that's what I'm thinking. Is, Is this the first final girl to exist? Uh, By the way, if you haven't seen this film by now, then surely you're either not going to or you already know what it's about. So I'm not too worried about spoilers. I mean, this October 11th, so you're hearing this just a few days after October 11th. You're hearing this on Friday. I believe Wednesday is October 11th, which means this movie is about 49 years old. 
So again, not worried about spoilers. But if you are, maybe watch it and then come back and listen. It's a good, it's a good movie. I recommend watching it either way. So the remaining woman, the final girl, she gets caught and she discovers it is a family of cannibals. She is then held captive inside their cannibal horror house. The one who is doing the killing is wearing a human face over his own and there's even eyelashes on it and everything and we know now this is Leatherface aka the man with the chainsaw. Oh and it's around this time Guess who is in this family of cannibals who makes a reappearance? That's right, the creepy hitchhiker from the beginning of the movie. So he, this is his family. Apparently they're like this inbred family and he's second generation inbred or something. Inside the cannibal's home, there is a lampshade made from human flesh hanging over the dining room table. There's furniture made of body parts and bones. Uh, there, there was this chair, one of the chairs uh, that the girl gets tied to. And the arms of the chair are <laughs> human arms, like with hands. Obviously, they made them. It's a prop. They didn't use real human arms. But they made these human arms. So the arms of the armchair are arms and I was like oh man they would have they would have fun making those props and laughing about that it's just weird and there's also so in this scene in this cannibal house there's dead animals as decoration it's just a really really gruesome place Real animal blood from a slaughterhouse was used inside the house on the walls and real roadkill was scraped off the side of the roads in the Texas heat, in the summertime in Texas. And it was also used in the house as props for the film. Oof, stinky. As well as the roadkill the crew found, there was also real dead animals obtained from an animal shelter, like after they had died or been euthanized, I'm unsure. But they said they went to an animal shelter and... They got uh, dead domestic pets from there and they also went to a vet's office and they dug around where the vet would bury um, dead animals and he went. one of the crew members went with a backpack and dug up a bunch of bones and put a bunch of bones in the backpack and then took them to the set. <laughs> um, dedicated. One word dedicated uh, to keep some of these carcasses from decaying quickly because uh, it was very hot and they were filming and you know they needed things to stay relatively the same I guess or they wanted to keep using them and they were decaying very quickly they were injecting them with formaldehyde and in one of the interviews the woman said she was injecting one of these dead animals with formaldehyde uh, to keep it from decaying and the needle went through the leg of the animal and actually pierced her skin which I was like oh I'm not sure if she pushed the syringe down and formaldehyde got into her body I don't know but I was like okay there's a lot of shit going down on this 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 scene this whole filming scene also all the props were made by the crew all the 
furniture that was uh, looked to be made out of human remains um all of the morbid decorations there was like bones stacked on top of each other sculptures made out of um bones just everything they they had made all of that which is just the the meat hook thing it was they made this prop that was uh railroad ties that made it look like I don't know it was crazy they made everything and so just so much went into this film it's it was wild hearing about it it was just absolutely wild they had to get very creative and with very little money the budget was so small Okay, so back to the movie plot. By some form of miracle, the the final girl who gets caught, she escapes. And they're ready to like beat her head in with a hammer and kill her. And she gets loose and she escapes. Leatherface goes after her with his chainsaw. The movie ends with the woman getting into uh, the back of a, a passing vehicle. There's like a truck passing and she's like, eh, and she jumps and, and runs into the, to the vehicle and she is just laughing hysterically like she is like ah, ha, 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 like someone who's been through a crazy traumatic event and it's just a reaction to getting away and that pressure being relieved you can really see it in it like she this hysterical laughter is very real and there's a reason for that I'm going to talk about that like in a minute and she jumps in the back of the truck she's laughing hysterically and this leaves Leatherface in the Texas sunrise because the sun is rising at this point it's actually a really beautiful sunrise and he's mad and he's swinging his chainsaw around in fury because she got away so the actress who played the final girl says her hysterical laughter was real that's why it looked so real because she was so exhausted from the non-stop month-long filming and that scene was a reshoot after she thought they were done she said they wrapped up filming I believe it was the day before she took off her clothing that she wore for the film so like her costume and she was so happy to be rid of it she said it was just disgusting and dirty and filthy because they, they weren't washing they weren't washing these these clothes um she washed her hair she showered she scrubbed all the animal decay stink off of her and she was like whew that was a wild month but we finished it and now I can just not stink and be around and not be around dead animals. And then she gets a call <laughs> saying they needed to reshoot that scene. And she was pissed off about it. But she did it. She's a professional. She did it. So she had to get into those disgusting clothes that she thought she had left behind. They had to pour blood all over her. And in that scene, she says her hysterical laughing was very authentic because she was just pissed about the reshoot, but she was happy that it was just truly over. That was her last scene. And <laughs> I found that very interesting. The movie was falsely promoted as a true story. It was like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre a true story <laughs> and that was done on purpose uh, although it was not it was not a everything about it was not a, a true story and we can see later where the inspiration came from but still this movie it's it's pretty far from the actual facts of the crimes that it's based on there's a lot of elements in there that are are accurate 
uh, but there's the the whole situation with the cannibal inbred family. That's um that's that's not in the crimes that ins- that's not in the crimes that inspired this film. Toby Hooper, he made the false claim that it was a true story because he felt it reflected that the government was lying to the public about the atrocities unfolding in the present day, things that were happening then, such as the Vietnam War, the oil crisis, and Watergate. So in a poetic way, he was saying that man is the true monster and man is wearing different faces. Who knew this movie was so deep and so political? I did not. But... Okay, but what real life murderer did the writers draw upon and how much of this is close to reality? Well, the answer is Ed Gein. And oh boy, are we going to talk about Ed Gein? He was a very sick, sick man. And he was very real and the crimes that he did are very, very real. Before I get into Ed Gein, I just want to talk a bit more about the facts surrounding the making of Chainsaw Massacre. So there's there's a lot I, there's a lot I want to talk about. They filmed this movie in 32 days. 32 days nonstop filming. They started on July 15th, 1973 and they went to mid-August in the Texas heat, in the Texan sun, okay? This wasn't a cushy movie set. There was no air conditioning. There was no comforts. The sweat you see in the movie on the actors, that's real. And the actors didn't wash those clothes that they were in the entire time. And they are just sweating and sweating and sweating. And they have like fake blood poured all over them. And it was messy, messy, messy messy movie they all legitimately stunk like really really bad not to mention the house uh they filmed in had real animal carcasses and it was sweltering hot not only because of the time of year but also because the house was entirely closed up like if they it was a nighttime scene and it took them a long time to film it so they had to have these thick black curtains over the windows so no light could get in so they could keep that consistent lighting in there no windows were open there was no air conditioning in there they had hot studio lights set up and running while filming and studio lights I don't know if you've ever stood in front of a studio light but they give off so much heat so so much heat it would have been so hot in there the smell from the decaying animals it was so overpowering and crew members were actually going outside to vomit because the smell was so bad and so sickening this seemed to be particularly bad during the dinner table scene in this movie uh, where they actually had a real dead chicken on the table and they filmed for like 26 hours with this rotting animal on the table all of these studio lights beating down on it and the stench was just suffocating this set definitely had very real grotesque things on it there is a scene where the final girl is tied to a chair in the cannibal house and they stuff a a dirty rag in her mouth 
And that rag, it was actually a dirty rag that they picked up off the ground and used. She said they were like, oh, you know, we need to put a rag in her mouth to like stop her from screaming in this scene. And somebody just looked around and grabbed one off the floor. And they're like, oh, here's one. And then they just shoved it in her mouth. <laughs> like this is, um, this is, this is uh, just a crazy way to, to film a movie. They were just going for it. The entire time they were filming, this film wasn't called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They weren't referring to this film as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was actually being called Leatherface. So they were all like, yeah, we're filming Leatherface. This is Leatherface. And that's how they planned to release it was under that name. But they changed their minds during editing. And editing took about a year to finish. I know it's crazy. It took 32 days to film and then a year to edit. And by the time they were done editing, they were like, no, we're going to call it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That name was just, they were like, no, we need we need to use that name. It's, it's a stronger name for a horror movie. And they were right. The Cannibal House was, of course, a real house in Texas, and the movie, it was filmed on site. So it was located at Quick Hill Road near a town called Round Rock in Texas. Sometime after the movie was done being filmed and the production ended, that house, which was in, in this movie as the inbred cannibal family's house of horror... Uh, it was relocated to a town called Kingsland in Texas, where it was ironically turned into a restaurant. The, the Cannibal House, where this family is filmed eating people in this movie, is turned into a restaurant. I thought that was uh, something. I thought that was something. <laughs> Uh, I don't know the name of the restaurant. I don't know if it still exists in Kingsland. But if it does, I mean, I wouldn't mind booking a table. That house, oof, they would have had to clean it so good. That house would have smelled so fucking bad. So, so bad from everything I've just talked about. The decaying animals, the heat, the stinky film crew, the real blood thrown on the walls. It just would have been a, a mess. The crew, they were doing about 16-hour days because they wanted to limit the time they had to, to pay to rent the filming equipment. They were like, we are on a tight-ass budget. We don't know if this movie's going to make any money. We don't know if we're going to make any money. We got to do this as fast as we can. Gunnar Hansen, the guy who played Leatherface, he said that he was in his costume all day, every day, and he wasn't allowed to wash it. And he was wearing a full face mask that was made to look like human flesh so he's wearing that it is hot he's sweating in this mask he's sweating in these clothes and he wasn't allowed to wash it because the crew were worried that it could change color or it could change size or it could be lost and they didn't have a replacement for us so they were like no gunner you gotta just stick it out and wear this mask and every piece of clothing you're wearing and sweating in for the next month for 16 17 hour days and he was like okay <laughs> he did a, he did a good job he did it every everybody involved in this film put everything they had into it everything um there was also real danger 
to the crew during filming, such as a real chainsaw being used and also a real hammer being slammed down next to an actress's head in one of the the scenes near the end of the movie. Apparently, every crew member had at least one injury during the filming, at least one, some many more. And by the end of production, by the end of filming, nobody liked the director, Toby Hooper. They were like, you are a sadistic son of a bitch. (laughs) I don't know what they were saying, but he really pushed them to the limits. He wanted this to look as real as it could, and people were getting hurt because of that. One actor was hit with a 35-pound prop sledgehammer for a scene I think it was the first kill of the movie and when he falls he falls in the movie I'm pretty sure that fall was real because he was actually knocked down by the blow from this prop hammer which still weighed 35 pounds and it bruised it like he got a black eye from this (laughs) he got hit in the head he fell over and he actually got a black eye from it like he was legit hit in the head with a prop hammer I'm assuming it was rubber during multiple scenes different characters are seen being beaten with wooden sticks this happens in a few different scenes to a few different characters at least two two scenes two characters I saw and they actually used hardwood sticks for this they yeah and it it was actually causing bruising when one of the actor asked uh, Toby Hooper the director if they could use something less painful maybe a a softer wood like a balsa wood something that looked like it was going to be solid wood but wouldn't be he took the stick and he hit his hand with it like the inside of his hand like the palm of his hand and he said it didn't even hurt and just keep using the hardwood (laughs) the thing was these actors were getting hit in the head with it which is a lot different from getting hit in the soft part of your hand with it so um yeah he was like nah keep using it keep getting hit with wood so the scene where the hitchhiker is being beaten by his father on the road it's like at the end of the movie when the girl's getting away and she's running away at nighttime and the father turns on his son, which is the creepy hitchhiker, and he's hitting him with that stick in the in the headlights of the car on the dirt road. That guy said he wasn't acting when he was in pain. Like his pain was real to an extent, maybe not as extreme as how it looks, but he said he was definitely getting hit in the head and he could like, he said he could like hear his skull cracking. I don't know if that was uh maybe an exaggeration but it definitely hurt and he was getting hit in the head repeatedly with this and he's on the ground and he's like screaming ah 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 and he said he really didn't have to act that much for that part because it it did hurt and, and it was very uncomfortable so his screams are real the amount of times that the screams or the creepy laughter or something in this movie is real it's It's just, it's crazy to me. I mean, the acting is really, really, really good in this movie. Very, very good. Um, And they they did such an amazing job. And I think a lot of that comes from real pain. I think there was a lot of real pain happening on this set. Also, the director, Toby Hooper, he wouldn't walk the actors through their death scenes beforehand so when it happened they it was actually the first time that that they had known really how it was going to play out and a lot of the times they were actually surprised there's a scene at the end where the brother and the sister are going through the woods at night and they're going through the woods at night and Leatherface jumps 
out from behind some trees and her fear in there is is real because she didn't know when exactly he was going to jump out at them and they did film it at night so they were walking through the woods filming this scene and then Leatherface jumps out with his chainsaw and he is freaky as fuck looking and she was legitimately screaming so a lot of these death scenes the actors and actresses they really were surprised when it happened because the director wouldn't wouldn't explain to them how it was going to go down what it was going to look like I mean they knew their role they knew what they were doing but he was keeping as much of this uh, a, a surprise I guess you could call it as he, he could for these real and true reactions and it it worked it worked really well there is also a scene where Leatherface falls down and cuts his own leg with his chainsaw while chasing the final girl and for this scene they actually put the teeth on the chainsaw in order for it to cut through his his clothes so I don't know if you've ever been to a like haunted corn maze or a haunted house and you'll see actors running around with chainsaws and they're actually on there making the noise and they're chasing after you there won't be the teeth on that the teeth are what cuts through things without that I the you know you're not going to cause that much damage if if any if it even touches you but with those teeth on that's what's going to cut through anything that's what's going to cut through flesh through a fucking tree through whatever and they put these teeth on for this scene because they needed it to slice through his clothing so under his clothes he gets cut on the leg so he's wearing pants under his pants on his thigh he is wearing they they put a metal plate down and then on top of that metal plate they put a piece of meat and then on top of that piece of meat they put a fake blood bag uh, they wanted a crew member to control the chainsaw for this scene but the guy playing Leatherface Gunner he wanted to do it himself because I mean it is his leg and this is a real chainsaw he's gonna know how when to stop you know during the scene he takes the fully working chainsaw teeth and all and he puts it against his leg it rips the fabric of his pants open, it cuts through the blood bag, it cuts through the meat, and it hit the metal plate. And the heat from the teeth doing what they do on a chainsaw hit that metal and got really hot. And he thought that he had actually cut into his leg with the chainsaw. He thought he had actually chainsawed his own leg. He didn't, by the way. He didn't. He was fine. But he screamed and he really thought, he thought for a couple seconds that the stunt went really wrong and that he had actually cut into his flesh with a chainsaw. That's how dangerous this filming this movie was. They were using real chainsaws and putting it again. Like just wild. Absolutely wild. There's a scene in the movie where Leatherface cuts into a guy with that chainsaw and I don't know if the teeth are on or off in this one but in order to make the blood spatter look real they actually had crew members put fake blood in their mouths and then literally spit it up at Leatherface uh, creating the illusion that blood was spraying out of the victim where the chainsaw was going in because the angle they do it on it's filmed from behind the victim and you can see Leatherface in front 
of the victim. So you're seeing Leatherface's front. You see the chainsaw come down, but then you can't see anything because the person's body is there. And then I think crew members were crouched down below so the camera couldn't see them. And then when the chainsaw came down, they were literally spitting blood out of their mouths up at Gunnar Hansen, Leatherface, to appear that blood was spurting out of, of, of the victim. Very creative. They got very, very, very creative here. The movie was originally rated as X, which I didn't even know that was a rating for horror films, but I do know that it means it's a lot worse than rated R, and eventually with some edits, it was released with an R rating. And I think that took a while for them to to do those edits and be like, okay, well, is it classified as R now? And eventually they were like, yeah, okay, we'll release this as rated R. After its release in 1974, it was still played for many, many years in theaters. In 1976 in Ottawa, Canada, two cinemas were told to stop playing the film like do not play this film and this was police telling them this the police were like you have to stop playing this film get it out of your theater and if you refuse if you refuse then you risk mortality charges I was like what the fuck is that I am not familiar uh, with that charge but it doesn't sound good this film ended up being banned in I think it was like 10 or 11 countries which of course made it more desirable. How do you make something popular? You ban it. People are like, what? Why was this banned? Like, let me see why this is deemed so unacceptable. You can't release it in entire countries. It's just piquing people's interest. This was the most popular slasher film for four years after its release. And it wasn't until 1978 that it finally met a contender. That movie is John Carpenter's Halloween. Ever heard of it? <laughs> I love that movie. Both Halloween and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre have continued to make films under this franchise up until current day. And this was like 50 years ago, 45, 50 years ago. Crazy. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it may have had a relatively small budget, but it had a lot of hardworking, passionate, creative I cannot emphasize that word enough creative and talented people working on it and that's why it had such huge success these people put everything they had into this movie and it's honestly so good considering they had very little to no special effects I mean they're spitting blood out to make it look like they just they just got creative they didn't have a big budget they didn't have big budget special effects they had a small budget and they were doing something nobody had really done before they were trailblazing this they had nothing really to reference this to even the sound effects were homemade and they did they they made these sound effects and uh, put them into the the movie during editing they would use random things like toys instruments and even just home decorations to create these eerie sounds or any any sound effect they needed they're like how can we make this scraping sound and then they would find things and scrape it and be like oh yeah that is a very eerie sound granted I know very little when it comes to film history uh little to none I should say but in my opinion again they were trailblazing for the slasher horror film industry no big they had no big name actors they had a small budget 
It was very hot, very dangerous conditions, filmed on scene at the you have you're working against the elements there they filmed it on scene like out in texas at a house that they found and they just absolutely nailed it to this day that film title is known around the world you go anywhere in the world say oh have have you ever heard of the texas chainsaw massacre and people are gonna say yeah whether they've seen the film or not they have definitely heard of that film title this film had so much success and acknowledgement even from countries it was originally banned in. France was one of the countries that would not allow this film to be uh, played in their country. And that was in 1974. But by 1976, they changed their tune and it actually won a film award. Then in 1990, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre found itself in the Horror Hall of Fame. And it is also up in the permanent collection in New York City's Museum of Modern Art. I know, right? Absolutely incredible what the creators accomplished. To this day, you will see it on best horror movie lists. You will just see if you're like, what are the best horror movies to watch right now? This will probably be on there. Despite all of this, I don't think the uh, creators and actors profited greatly from this movie. And that seemed like a very complicated issue, which I didn't fully understand what had happened there. During editing, during the, the year it took to edit, they I, th I think they ran out of money and they had to sell a lot of their remaining shares. So how much of the movie they actually owned in the end, I'm, I'm not sure. And when it came to royalties, it didn't seem like they got uh, much from that either. The people who profited would have been the financiers. So I'm not sure what happened there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was something dodgy. I don't know if it was just because they had to sell their shares. I don't know what was going on with the royalties, but it didn't sound like they they made a lot. One guy in the interview said his first royalty check for the movie was $47. This movie made $30 million and he his first royalty check was for $47. I'm like, something, something happened there. Okay, now let's get in to talking about Ed Gein. Who is Ed Gein and why did his crimes inspire parts of this film? What, what's going on here? How much of this is actually something that happened? Well, Ed Gein in Plainville, Wisconsin, he did rob graves uh, of the, the corpses of women. He was only robbing... Uh, corpses of women and it's not certain how many graves he robbed but police suspect at least 40 and this is mentioned at the beginning of the texas chainsaw massacre when the guy on the radio is talking about graves being robbed ed started robbing graves in 1947 after his domineering terrifying yet he was obsessed with mother died Ed only took female corpses, some of whom resembled his mother, and he would chop them up, practice taxidermy, and make clothing and home decor from their flesh and body parts. He would make the lining of chairs, he would make lampshades, he would make belts, pants, even a jacket out of, out of the flesh, 
And I'm about to get very graphic here. So if you don't want to hear the most morbid things you have probably ever heard, um, then I suggest you skip ahead like eight to 10 minutes or maybe just end this episode altogether because this is not for the faint of heart. This is some real horrifying shit. Ed would cut off the faces of the corpses and then he would stuff them. When he was happy with his work, he would then nail them to his fucking walls like they were paintings. He made a jacket out of a woman's flesh and left the breasts intact. So when he wore it, it was like he had breasts and he would he, and he would wear it. He would wear this flesh jacket and he would dance around in it. He made flesh belts. Uh, He used nipples and made them into belt buckles. He made bowls out of these women's skulls. He chopped off noses. He took those noses and kept them in a box, which he kept under his bed. He had another box beside that one, which contained female genitalia. And I read that some of these genitalia pieces looked as though they belonged to as young as 15 year old girls so I don't know if he was robbing even girls graves not just women but girls and women he made a face mask out of flesh and this is clearly where the inspiration for Leatherface's face came from he really did have a house of horrors just like in the movie. Eventually, corpses wasn't enough for him though, and that's when he started to murder women. And I want to say, and eat them. Uh, and that's because, I mean, he, there, later they find the, they find organs and, and parts of, of human beings in his, in his freezer or his fridge. Why keep them there if you're not going to eat them? Although he claims that he was not a cannibal and he didn't eat anybody. But why would you keep those in your your fridge or your freezer or near your stove or anywhere else that, that these organs and pieces of human meat were found in his house? So he says he wasn't a cannibal, but I would say, I would say it's safe to say that it is largely speculated that he was a cannibal. So like I was saying, eventually corpses robbing these graves, it it wasn't enough for him. And he starts to murder and he murders a woman as well as chopping up her body and making stuff out of it. His first known and official living victim was in 1954. On December 8th, he drove about 10 miles from his home and he found a woman named Mary Hogan. It's said that Mary Hogan looked a lot like Ed's mother. And she was at uh, at a bar. I think maybe she owned this bar. She was alone in this bar. And Ed, he goes in and he sees her. And he killed her by shooting her. He shot her. She died. He then took her body back to his house. Uh, filled with chopped up corpses. And he used an axe And he dismembered her and he chopped her up. He used her flesh and body to make things. He cut off her head and he put it in a a paper bag where a year later police would find it. 
After this, he continued grave robbing, but a year later, he wanted a fresh corpse again, so he set out to kill another woman. By the way, nobody in the community thought that he was doing this. Many women did say they found him odd, and there was something they didn't, I guess, trust behind his eyes. They could sense that there was something very eerie, something very not right about him, but nobody thought he was doing what he was doing. They just thought he was an odd man who lived alone, kept to himself. He was very good at hiding his morbid, deadly obsession. He even maintained a job as a handyman. So he was maintaining, he must have been maintaining relationships. He had a job, he was a handyman, he would have had to communicate with people and nobody suspected him of being this unhinged. November 16th, 1957, which was almost one year since his last murder, he went to a hardware store early in the morning when Bernice Warden was opening up the shop. And this hardware store, I believe Bernice was the owner of this store. And so she was there early and she's opening it up and she's just, she's just living her life. Well, Ed Gein entered the store where she was alone shot her dead, dragged her out to his vehicle, and drove her back to his house. Once he had Bernice at his house, he hung her up in the barn, chopped off her head, uh, cut out her organs, put her heart, some sources say in a pan, some sources say in a bag, but it by his stove. He played with her skull, and he was apparently making some sort of decoration out of it. Later that day, police went looking for Ed because with Bernice missing and her son being a sheriff in the town, it was quickly pieced together that Ed was the last person to uh, be associated with Bernice. Uh, And apparently Ed had been at the hardware store the day previous and Bernice's son saw him lurking around and he got this weird feeling. And in Bernice's sale records, the last person to purchase something from her was Ed Gein. And the son went looking for his mother. So I believe he abducted Bernice around 9.30 in the morning. And then around 4 in the afternoon, her son went looking for her. And when he went into the store, he noticed there was blood and there was just things thrown about and Bernice wasn't there. And this is when he started piecing it together. And he pieced it together really, really fast. And it was snowing that day. And I heard that he could even see the bloody drag marks of where Ed had dragged Bernice to his vehicle outside in the snow, which is just a very haunting image. Ed was found and arrested that same day that he uh, killed Bernice and police went into his barn. So like, we're going to search your shit. And they go into his barn and that's where they found Bernice's body mutilated and strung up. They went into his home and found out his disturbing secret and how far he had gone with it. Police couldn't believe what they were finding. This includes bags full of human organs in the freezer there is body parts all over the place there's a heart that looks like he's about to prepare to eat it there's skulls human skulls made into bowls uh there was the human noses and genitals and boxes under his bed 
uh, his furniture and clothing made from human flesh and um, the decapitated, there was a decapitated head in, in a paper bag. The house, it was just truly a house of horrors and that's what it was known as. That's what people called it was his house of horrors. It was a horror house. Police saw that every room but two rooms had been boarded up. And this house was huge. This was a huge family farm home. And when they went into one of the rooms that was boarded up, they noticed it was spotless. Yeah, there was some dust from being boarded up for a long time, but everything was in order and perfect. This room had belonged to Ed's mother. After she died, Ed had kept the room like as if it was a shrine perfectly preserving it it was everything was neat and tidy and that's how he boarded it up he was preserving his mother's room ed had he had this weird obsession with his mother and some people theorize that he started robbing graves and um, killing women to make clothing out of their flesh so he could wear it and pretend to be his mother some people think that he was trying to become his mother so whether he was putting on these flesh, this clothing made of flesh and pretending he was his mother, I mean, that could be, that could be what he was doing. He was, he was obviously not okay. He was very sick. And if this sounds familiar, it's because the book and then the movie Psycho was also inspired by Ed Gein. Not only that, but the 1988 book Silence of the Lambs also used Ed's crimes as inspiration, which in 1991 became that hit sensational movie with the same title. The character Buffalo Bill, that character is loosely based on Ed Gein. Ed's mother was cruel and vicious. She just seemed like a, everything I heard, just a terrible, terrible woman. She would drill it into Ed's head from a very young age that women were evil. They were only trying to seduce him. There was nothing good about them. They were just evil, evil, evil creatures, but apparently not her. I mean, she's a woman. Why is she calling women evil? She was uh, abusive and she just seemed to be a vile human being who, who everyone was petrified of. And even, even his father, his father had a, a very bad drinking problem and, and eventually he, he died from heart failure from drinking. He was an alcoholic. His wife was just very abusive and, and mean and just a, a terrible woman. It sounded like she was extremely mentally ill and being the the 1950s and, and earlier there was just not much known about mental health conditions so she just lived and died untreated the world had never seen anything like ed Gein before and they were terrified but also extremely curious so it makes sense that writers were looking at ed and learning what horrific sickness and and depravity truly looked like people they wanted to see inside his house and they wanted to see what was in his mind people were very curious about this as as shocking and disgusting and horrific as it was people were like what what is this we've never seen this before once ed was arrested police 
apparently beat a confession out of him. And I think it's safe to say that this was not a false confession that they beat out of him as uh, the evidence was clear enough. I mean, his home was just just riddled with corpses and and they they found the the missing women in in his house mutilated cut up he's clearly he did this so the fact that they beat the confession out of him I mean it's it's a real confession this isn't a false confession Ed did plead not guilty and I believe it was by reason of insanity and then he was found to be criminally insane and he was sent to um a institution for the criminally insane where he was in there for about 10 years until they said hey you are fit to stand trial for the murder of Bernice Warden and then that happened in in 1968 and this time he confessed his guilt he's like yep I'm guilty this landed Ed back in the Institution for the Criminally Insane, where he later died uh, in 1984 at the age of 77 of lung cancer. Sometime in the early 2000s, someone stole Ed Gein's headstone, leaving his grave unmarked. And he was buried in the same cemetery that he used to rob bodies from. So I'm curious who stole that that headstone and and for why was this to be disrespectful or was this to have Ed Gein's headstone I'm very curious as to why and where is it now like where do you even I mean they're huge they're made out of cement where do you even put that what are you gonna put it on display you can't it's illegal like where is it to think that that is somewhere right now hidden in somebody's home and somebody's like hey I stole this this is Ed Gein's headstone it's like what (laughs) like it's I don't know where is it who has it very curious the large rural home uh, Ed turned into that house of horrors it burned down after Ed's arrest and it is speculated that the community was possibly responsible for that act of arson and I mean can you blame them They didn't want to be remembered of all of this sick, disgusting things that happened in their community. They didn't want people who were obsessed with Ed Gein's crime coming to their town just to peep this house of horrors. They just, they didn't want to be known for it. They didn't want it around. They didn't want to look at it and they didn't want the attention that it would bring. So it got burned down, but we can't say for sure who did it. And we can't say for sure it was arson. Maybe it was a natural act and maybe the community had nothing to do with it. Although, I don't know. I don't know. Some of Ed's possessions were auctioned off. And when I read that, I was like, who the hell bought that? Who would buy Ed Gein's stuff? I don't want his stuff anywhere near me. It's fucking cursed, man. He disturbed so many graves He murdered two women and did unspeakable things to their body. He made furniture and faces and and face masks and clothing and all this stuff out of flesh. I don't want his stuff anywhere near me. Anything that was in that house should, should be burned. I mean, if you have something of Ed Gein's, I would recommend burning it and uh, never buying murder memorabilia again, but it's your life. I can only say my opinion. It's believed that Mary Hogan wasn't the first person Ed killed. People suspect Ed murdered his brother years earlier when his mother was still alive. 
1944, the Gein family property caught fire after a controlled, I can't, I gotta, can't say it's control, after an uncontrolled uh, burn that Ed was doing around the, the property. It was like burning some bushes and shrubs, who knows, I don't know. And it got out of hand. So after the fire was put out, nobody could find Ed's brother. And basically, Ed led police to his brother's body, which was found outside with bruising to his head. And he was dead, okay? And yet his death was ruled as smoke inhalation. Um, Did Ed kill his brother? He was never looked at and um, it was considered not foul play. So apparently Ed did not kill his brother, but I mean, did Ed kill his brother? One year after that, his mother dies from poor health. And a year after that, Ed gets really into taxidermy, porn, the female anatomy, and he even purchased a book about Nazi medical experiments. And that's when he started robbing women's graves. He would literally look through the obituaries in the newspaper to see what fresh bodies were being buried near him. And then he would go dig them up and steal them. So with all that being said, I think it is very clear that a lot of aspects of of Ed Gein's depraved acts were written into Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, it's not a shot-for-shot remake of his his real-life crimes, but there are a a lot of uh, a, a lot of Ed Gein esque things in that House of Horror in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They really did uh, pull things from Ed's home and 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 put it in that movie which is just unbelievable i mean you you see texas chainsaw massacre and you think oh this whole thing is is just uh, fiction there's nothing about this that is true well now you know about ed gein you can you can see uh where the writers got a lot of the stuff from that are in that movie it's just very very haunting that wraps up this week's case I had no idea that the making of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie was just as iconic as the movie itself. It is really incredible that they made it in 32 days on such a small budget and literally put their own blood, sweat, and tears into it. I even heard crew members talk about filming for 26 hours straight at one point. I think it was the scene around the cannibal dinner table in in the House of Horrors. I think that took a really long time. The conditions were almost unbearable, really hot. The stench of just real dead animals rotting around them that just like littered the set. And just absolutely horrific conditions, but they pulled it off. There was just so much passion behind this film. I mean, the passion is just, it's it's unmatched. If there's a movie that was more passionate in the making, please let me know. It uh, truly did set the bar for the slasher genre. It really, really kicked everything off. One last thing I wanted to say before I go is that the guy who played Leatherface in the film, Gunnar Hansen, he died in 2015 at the age of 68 from cancer. And he said in an interview that he didn't want to be predominantly remembered for his role as Leatherface. He said he he did a lot more important stuff in his career, but it was that role that really seemed to 
stick to him he played that role right after high school so he was he was very young when he did that movie and it followed him around for for the rest of his life I mean granted he didn't not like it I guess because he did appear in in other Texas Chainsaw Massacre films I believe so it wasn't like he was he didn't not like it but he just wanted to be remembered for maybe some some other things that he did in his career there was one thing for sure that he didn't like and it was the chainsaw jokes that strangers would approach him with even decades later after the film he, he didn't really like those he didn't like that people assumed that that Leatherface, that character was inside him somewhere he wasn't a bloodthirsty cannibal throwing a chainsaw around he was a very intelligent kind nice and talented man during his life he accomplished so much more and he wanted people to talk about that so I am going to end this episode on such on such things in 1993 Gunnar Hansen wrote and published a book called Island at the Edge of Time a journey to America's barrier islands and this book is described as quote Island at the Edge of Time is the story of one man's captivating journey along America's barrier islands from Boca Chica, Texas to the outer banks of North Carolina. Weaving in and out along the coastlines of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, and North Carolina, poet and naturalist Gunnar Hansen perceives barrier islands not as sand but as an expression in time of the process that make them. Along the way he treats the reader to absorbing accounts of those who call these islands home. Their lives often lived in isolation and at the extreme edges of existence and examines how the culture and history of these people are shaped by the physical character of their surroundings." I got that book description from Amazon. I have linked it if you want to purchase that book. It is nonfiction. I believe he he actually went out and he did this journey and then he wrote a book about it. And it seemed like he was really into natural science and writing. And there was just so many layers to this man. He was very talented and he wanted to be known for more than just Leatherface. And I think that book that he wrote really shows us that other side to him um so that's why I wanted to just mention that book bring it up link it in my show notes because you know he wanted to be remembered for more so that wraps up this week's episode also please remember to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple podcast if you're there hit that five star button if you feel so inclined and you can find hell no true crime podcast on instagram and tiktok thanks for listening and see you next week where we will be exploring paranormal elements in real cases Bye.